All right. Anybody order some pizza? Anybody order some pizza? Anybody? Hot and fresh, delivered right to your door. That's right. We're talking about pizza delivery Jesus today. You know what I'm talking about, right? We're in this series called Mistaken Identity, and over the next four weeks, we're going to be exploring some common ways in which we think about God that kind of have their grounding in some truth, but have taken on a life of themselves and can actually present and create a very bad, uh, harmful understanding of God. And it's really based, we're kind of basing the whole series on this question that Jesus asked his disciples. Disciples would be students or followers. It's a word we don't use a whole lot uh, these days. You could call it like members of his gang, you know, whatever. But uh, here's, what, here's what Jesus said to him. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And there's a lot of people, a lot of expressions of faith out there that have kind of taken Jesus and, and Jesus' words, and they've looked at the Bible, and they go, oh, it's like pizza delivery, God. If I just pray the right prayer, if I say the right thing, if I go to the right church, if I get baptized the right way, if I take the right class, if I give the right amount in the offering, that's an important one, then I'll get the blessing. And God will just show up. If I want Hawaiian pizza, I can get Hawaiian pizza. If I want broccoli on my pizza, oh, who puts broccoli on their pizza in here right now? Just own it so we know who not to like. Unbelievable. Broccoli on your pizza. I love it. That's right. Broccoli. People, I've never, I don't get it. I've never tried it, so I really can't knock it. But, you know, if that's what you want, that's what you can get. And this is the way we think about God. There's a whole brand of spirituality out there that's primarily been founded in America, quite honestly, of this idea that God just wants to bless your life. And the, the way to get God to bless your life, the way to stay healthy, the way to get the money, the way to live the good life, the life which is you just got to do the right stuff, have enough faith. And so the idea behind this type of uh, spirituality is that comfort and prosperity, here's your first fill-ins for those of you that are fill-in-the-blank folks, comfort and prosperity, these are the signs that God's pleasure is with you. Like, who doesn't want to live in the pleasure of God? That's how I define worship, by the way. I say that worship is a life lived in the pleasure of God. Uh, that's what I think worship is. So we say, well, here's the deal. Uh, I know that my life is good when I have comfort and prosperity, when I am healthy that if I really love God, then I'm not sick because you're the head and not the tail. And if you just have enough faith, that's how this brand of spirituality goes. If you just have enough faith, uh, at its worst, most vile uh, expressions, you'll hear things like, sow the right seed, and then God will give it back to you a hundred times. If you want your miracle, you just have to give. And usually there's a dollar amount to it. And that's at its worst expression. At its best expression, I think at its most innocent expression, is it takes certain verses in Scripture and holds them out as promises and says, if you do this, then God will do this. Right? If you will bring the whole tithe into the storehouses, thus saith the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life, you won't have room enough for it. At its most, I think, honest and, and, and like innocent expression, it's the taking of certain Bible verses and passages and saying, this is who God is. This is what God wants to do in your life if you will only honor God and honor God's way. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that that kind of spirituality, it's just not true. <laughs> like you can get all the Bible verses for it, but it's just not true because lots of really wonderful, wonderful people that love Jesus, that go to church, that give in the offering, they get sick. And I've met a lot of people that love Jesus, that read their Bible, that give, and they've died. They're, they're, I, I see it. 
And so there's this truth that if-then spirituality is very problematic because if-then spirituality, if I do this, then God does this, it just leaves us in despair because we think it's all up to us. If I can just, I can manipulate God just enough to do this for me, then I can find hope, then I can have my best life, then I can live it out. And at the end of the day, this if-then spirituality manipulates and hardens heart toward the authentic Jesus. Like, that's what I think is so at risk with this, is that where it leaves folks is it leaves folks feeling disenfranchised, disconnected, disengaged, feeling like I did everything I was supposed to do. I followed everything that that church told me I was supposed to do, I did, and I still got sick. Everything that church told me, and I still have debt. Everything I did, and my marriage still fell apart. And so what happens is we associate Jesus with these theologies, with this spirituality, and our hearts get hardened, and because of the blending of the two, now we say, well, I just give up. There's something in our hearts that says, I don't want to give up on God and grace and love and hope and forgiveness, but if this is what God is, my, my life tells me something else. So what I want to do today is I want to give you some slices of pizza, all right? And when I say that, I don't mean literal slices of pizza. I want to give you some wisdom slices of pizza. Imagine I have a wisdom pizza pie. I want to give you four slices today. How many of you think you can handle four slices of pizza? My goal is to say pizza so much that when we finish and you smell that pizza truck out there, you go out there and support them, right? These folks that are in our community, you go get yourself some pizza in the time of COVID and help them out. And, uh, and so, but then we're going to talk about four slices of wisdom pizza today that we can get from the scripture about this idea of pizza delivery, God. Are you with me? All right, slice number one. Here it comes. There are plenty of verses in the Bible that can be used to dial pizza delivery God. There's lots of them. It doesn't take long to find this mentality. And you know why that is? Because it's human nature to want to make God our puppet God. (laughs) It's human nature to want to set up and imagine God like we imagine ourselves. If somebody treats me nice, what am I going to do to them? I'm going to treat them nice. So it only makes sense that that's how God would work. But this is the beauty of God. Like God doesn't work like we work. Love doesn't work like that. What we get in Jesus, the, the ultimate expression of God, is something so radically different than the normalcy of our world that we have to start looking for the normalcy of our world, even within the Scripture, because Jesus comes to say, no, 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 we get it wrong. And so I want to just say there are lots of verses in the Bible that, that can be used for this. A favorite one is Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah is a prophet in what we call the Old Testament, and, and, and Jeremiah is writing at a really difficult time. Uh, in the life of the nation of Israel. And he says, "For I, this is God saying, I know well the plans I have in mind for you, says the Lord, an oracle of the Lord. Plans for your welfare. A lot of translations say prosperity. Plans for your prosperity and not for woe, or some translations will say not for harm. A plan to bless you, not harm you, so as to give you a future of hope. Can I get it? Amen. That'll sell. That's what we want, right? God wants to prosper you. God wants to give you God's blessing. So there's that verse. You have Psalm 37.4, another favorite. Psalm 37.4 says, find your delight in the Lord who will give you your heart's desire. What's your heart's desire today? Let's be honest. Most of us want a little more money. Most of us want a little nicer car. Most of us want a little better job. Most of us want to be healthy. Most of us want our children to be healthy. We want our husband, our wife, our spouse, our significant other, our best friend. We want them to do well. We, we bring this idea of our desires 
And, and the reality is our desires are shaped by our culture. They're shaped by our family, that type of thing. And so that's what nobody ever wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what, if I could just lose my job today, that would be awesome. If today I could go into work and they would fire me on the spot with no severance, no nothing, and just ruin my finances for the next six years of my life, that would be amazing. That is not the desire of our heart. Like, let's just be honest. And that's okay. I love what our opening kind of call to wisdom worship said in that song. It said, bring your desires for comfort and health and wealth. Those are perfectly natural and welcome, but we have to recognize that that's not where it's at. There's a lot of power in some other things. But here's the deal. Some of you in the room, I know some of you are really with it. Like, you're really Jesus people, almost creepily Jesus people. And you're saying this. You're saying in your mind, you're saying, Ryan, Nice try, but you're not going to trick me with that Old Testament stuff. Like, you just read these verses from the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament gal. That's what you're saying. I'm a New Testament guy. I, I live in the New Testament, like, and that God of the Old Testament, that's the God of anger and wrath, and, like, you had to keep that God happy, but the Jesus God of the New Testament is all love. Listen, for those of you that think I'm trying to trick you, I'm not. I mean, you can even find Jesus saying things that could lend it to this. Jesus said in John chapter 14, the writer of John says that Jesus says, whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, listen, this is how this gets interpreted. If just ask me to do something for you, I'll do it because that'll make God look good because I'm blessing your life. If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. Now, I give you these verses to say, if we're going to say the Bible is a rule book, the Bible is this book that everything in it, we just take it at face value and we apply it and we do what it says, then you can take these verses and you can, you can make it say whatever you want. But you have to completely divorce it from the whole. You have to divorce it from reality. And I, I personally want a spirituality that's grounded in faith, but informed by reality. <laughs> I just want to understand how the world works and believe that God is revealed in that. That's why I like, I'm all for science, you know, I'm all for history. All these things help me understand and they reveal, I think, what we call God. I think God is in the fabric of it all. And so we could take all this stuff and we can formulate it. But what I know to be true is when I look at the life of Jesus, which is how I read scripture. And I understand all of it through the lens of Jesus. Like, I realize something, that, that that way of interpreting those scriptures and applying those scriptures to my life looks nothing like the way of Jesus. Nothing at all. And it brings us back to the importance of why we have to fundamentally say, what is the Bible? What is it? Is it this book that gives me all the rules to follow so that if I follow all the rules, then everything will go well for me. When we around here, we said, that's not what the Bible is. It's not a rule book. It's a terrible rule book. But the other thing that we hear a lot of too, and, and this, I don't, again, I'm not trying. I don't wake up in the morning and go, who could I offend today? <laughs> but I just have to speak what I think is to be true and what is used to manipulate people. The other thing that the Bible is not, it's not a book of promises, and I don't mean to like destroy or trample on it. That's not to say that we don't trust God. That's not, but here's what I don't believe the Bible is. I don't believe the Bible is this divine book of, pro of promises that people who live a certain way can just claim the promises of God. I just don't believe that. Again, I don't think reality shows that. I, don't think, I think history tells us that wasn't Jesus' point. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, 
It's a cruciform life. And that's what pizza delivery spirituality can't grasp. So, so pizza delivery spirituality is not the cruciform way of Jesus. Big word, important word. Makes me feel like my seven years of education was not in vain that I can use the word cruciform, okay? So just bear with me. But here's, here's what this word means. Cruciform means in the form of the cross, that this way of Jesus is death and resurrection over and over and over again. A life surrendered and lived in this way of Jesus it's a paradox. <laughs> it's a way of death so that I might have actual life. And so cruciform is this idea that my life is one of death and resurrection over. There's always something dying in me, and there's always something be coming back to life. I'm always learning the power of sacrifice. I'm always learning forgiveness in the midst of hate, in the midst of fear. I'm always learning that I'm living it out. Something in me is dying so that something better can be raised to life. Matthew has Jesus say it this way to his disciples. Whoever wishes to come after me, in other words, if you want to come and be my student, my disciple, this was the way a rabbi would talk in the first century. If you want to come after me, live in my way of understanding the world, the way I see it, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Ooh, that doesn't sound like pizza delivery, Jesus. Like, that's a pizza I don't want. But that, that is the, that's the, the crux, the heart of it all. Like, if you really want this way of Jesus, when we say, like, Jesus is the real thing, right, it's the, we should always understand, it's not that person, it's the way, it's the living Christ, it's this path that's been given to us that produces life. And so that's the cruciform way of life, death and resurrection. I've got to lay down the things that I value so much, what the world, what my culture, what my family, what all this stuff says, this is the blessing, this is what it looks like, I learned to lay it down. But here's the issue, the issue behind it all. So the cruciform way of life is totally different, that's slice number two, right? That's not the spirituality. It, you can't jive that with, with pizza delivery God. And this first slice was, we can find Bible verses for it. So here's the third slice. Third, third slice of wisdom. Okay, this one's got extra cheese on it. Okay, so if you're lactose intolerant, you're not going to like this one. All right. See, the issue is our appetite. The issue is our appetite. And, and that's how we're going to understand all of these verses and all of this stuff that talks about the blessing of God, that talks about God's presence, that, that could be used as if-then spirituality. The issue, the key for it is appetite. What do we actually crave? Any sweet tooth in the house? Got a sweet tooth out there? You like sweets? That's me. This Easter, uh, Wendy brought home one day sweet tart jelly beans. Y'all ever had these? Oh, my gosh, changed my life. I don't like jelly beans. I like sweets, but I don't like jelly beans. I don't, so, but I'm telling you what right now, I could eat six, seven, eight bags of these in one sitting. Like, I eat one of those things, and it's just like every endorphin in my face releases, and I'm like, this is like, I've never done crack, but I imagine it has to be like this. <laughs> it's crazy good. That's why sugar is just as addicting, right? Like, but it's so good. Now, here's the thing. If all I ate were sweet tarts, right? That's a craving. That's my appetite. Sweets, caramel corn. I love it, right? If pizza, love pizza. All that pizza, all those carbs, come on, right? But, but here's the thing. Like, 
those things at the end of the day are not going to satisfy me, right? If, if all I ate were sweet tart jelly beans, as much as I want those, at the end of the day, I might be full, but I'm not satisfied. Like I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to have the energy to sustain life. That's not the way. And so, so there, there's a spiritual reality to that as well. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' program for the world, <laughs> right? You say, what's Jesus all about? Around here, we say, read the Sermon on the Mount. This is the vision of God expressed through Jesus for the world. And one of the things that one of the sections we call the Beatitudes, all these statements of who is blessed, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now, righteousness is not doing good just to do good. Okay, oftentimes we take the word righteousness and we turn it into personal righteousness, like this idea of I just do the right things. Again, that's rule-based religion and faith and Christianity. That's not, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here because the word righteousness is justice. It's often translated as justice. It's the same word for justice. So when, when Micah says do justice, what is it that God requires of you? Do justice. That's the principle. And justice for God is not punitive justice, like biblical justice. It's not primarily punitive justice. It's not retributive justice. It's not even restorative justice. It's the fundamental, foundational, like beginning of justice, which is distributive justice. So when people are crying out for justice, they're crying out for equal distribution of God's resources. That's, that's what it means. Like Everybody gets their fair shake. And it has nothing to do with your worth, your value, what you can and can't do. It has everything to do with it all is God's, and God's vision for the world is fair distribution. And that promotes all the other types of justices, right? You have, you have kind of restorative justice when someone takes what God has given, so it has to be restored. But it all starts with distributive justice. That's the basic, I, what, what I think is the basic fundamental justice, right? And so when you hunger for that, when you thirst for that, when that's the framework for your spirituality, not more for me, not I want to own more and more and more, but when, when my vision lines up with God, then I'll be satisfied. How many people do you know, and again, we talk about other people because nobody wants to talk about themselves, but how many people do you know they have everything you could possibly imagine and they still are not satisfied? You know anybody like that? Okay, now, is that you? Raise your hand. Because <laughs> that's me, right? Like, I got two cars, I've got a garage that fits both of them, I've got a house, I've got groceries, I get to go on vacation, but I'm not satisfied. Like, I want to go on a better vacation. I want a nicer car. I want a bigger yard. I mean, come on, seriously, God, as big as this earth is, I got a little postage stamp in Colorado. But that's the, that's the but I'm not satisfied. But why is that? Because that system, that structure, that, that, that way of thinking will never actually, you can't be satisfied. Like, it's why you still eat like sugary sweet stuff when you're full, because <laughs> you're not satisfied. It's not like your body goes, oh, enough sugar. <laughs> That's just enough jelly beans, Ryan. No, my body's like throwing up while I'm still eating jelly beans. Like something inside of me is saying, that's enough, Ryan, but that's just so good. I got to have more and more, right? In John chapter 6, Jesus said it like this. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Now, is that literal? Is that like, oh, I just come to church, come to Jesus, and then I'm never hungry again or thirsty again? No, that's not how that works. There's a principle here that's saying this way of Jesus, and again, it's not the person of Jesus. I want to be very clear on that, because bad spirituality is based, too, on like boyfriend Jesus, where I just come and Jesus loves me, and I feel really good, and it's good, and we can slow dance, and no. 
Like it's always a way, it's a program. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, it's, we, we, we simplify because it feels a lot better to just say, well, I just invited Jesus into my heart, so now I get to go to heaven. That, has, uh, that just is nowhere in Jesus' framework when he's speaking the historical Jesus. There's this way that satisfies you. There's this way that says, I can actually learn to say no to more and more pizza as I learn to say yes to the way of Jesus. It's the craziest thing. The only way that I can learn to say no to, the, to all these things in the world that I want so badly is to learn to give it away, is to learn to look for where there is an injustice and to use my resources to bring about justice. It's only in that that I can find satisfaction, true satisfaction. And so Paul got this. So here's the fourth slice of pizza. This is the last one. And you know how y'all fight for the last piece of pizza because it's not perfectly shaped. It's got a little extra cheese on the side. You know, this one really is like, it's, it's gooey and it's the last one and, and it's really good, okay? Paul understood the secret to actually overcoming the cravings for more pizza. I would say the cravings for more jelly beans, right? Sweet tart jelly beans. None of those nasty like regular jelly beans. Those are gross. But like Paul got it. And here's the key. This is, the, this is a, so amazing. Philippians chapter 4, this is what Paul says. This will unlock everything and, and, and will set our minds on a proper, what I would, a uh, big fancy word, hermeneutic, way of actually interpreting and understanding all of the passages that deal with this idea of if then, potential, if I do this, then God will bless us. Okay, listen. This is what Paul says. I indeed, I know how to live in humble circumstances, I know also how to live with abundance. In other words, I know how to live without anything, and I know how to live with everything. And we know from the historical Paul that he was. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, he had the prestige and the power, and he had the influence. But we also know from the historical Paul that he had been shipwrecked, that he had been imprisoned, that he had been beaten, Right? The, the thought is that Paul was uh, martyred in Rome. We don't know that for sure, but that's kind of the general consensus. So Paul's writing, he says, I get it. He says, in every circumstance and in all things, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry. Now, can we pause right there? Or he says, and of living in abundance and of being in need. Let me pause right there. Because what it, we got to get this. Okay, you got to get this. If you're watching at home, stick with me. Just tell the kids, I want you to miss this, all right? Paul gives no qualifications and no qualifiers around being well-fed or being hungry as in any way, shape, or form, punishment or reward from God. Paul doesn't write here and say, I've learned the secret of how to survive when I'm in God's judgment and I don't have any food. Or when I'm in lack because I've sinned, I know how to survive that. And I also know how to survive and, and function in God's blessing. When I have the abundance, he doesn't, there's no qualifiers. These are just realities of life. That should, that right there should just free us. <laughs> like there's just the reality of we have times where there's plenty and times where there's abundance. And the reality is there's a lot of people in this world that have no time of abundance and simple times of lack in the developing world. And oftentimes the theology that we produce in America can't account for that. Because how, how do you say the billions of people on the planet that are barely surviving are just living under God's curse? I mean, it's just reality has to inform my theology, right? So, but here's what he says. Here's the secret. I have strength for everything through him who empowers me. 
through him who empowers me. And again, I would say the him is the way. It's interesting that they called the earliest followers of Jesus, they called that movement the way. I think what Paul is saying is here is like, I've got all these things, these realities of life around me that I don't understand why they are the way they are. I don't know why one day I've got everything and one day I've got nothing, but I've learned how to survive all of them. It's the strength that empowers me that comes from this way, from this Jesus. So don't miss this because this will open up everything when it comes to how this becomes unhealthy and how to keep it healthy. So we have things like the the polarities of wealth and poverty and wellness and sickness. These are experiences in life and and everything in between. These are realities. We navigate these things with God, not seeing them as rewards and punishments from God. Like, that's the secret. I think that's what Paul got. He says, I can stay healthy. I can keep my attitude up. I can understand my place in God's care and love because that's not how this works. God is with me in all of these things. I don't see them as rewards or punishments. And if we will grasp this, this will keep us from the lie of the American prosperity gospel. This lie that says, well, if you do all the right things, then you'll be healthy. No, 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 no. It's just not true. It's just not real. Why one person survives a tragic accident and why another one doesn't has nothing to do with a reward or a blessing from God. They are realities of life in this world, in this universe. The gift is I can walk through those with God. I can actually comfort with God. I can be comforted by God. I can bring justice for God. I can do all this stuff with God. That's the strength. And I can see it all over your faces. You're like, this is great, Ryan, but what about tomorrow? Like, what does this have to do with tomorrow? I got to go to work tomorrow. I got to go live my life tomorrow. Here's, here's why I think this is important. Maybe not for tomorrow, but maybe Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. And, and, and here's why I think it's important, because we can actually shift and move away from a spirituality that simply just produces despair or arrogance, right? That's what happens. Well, God just blessed me. God kept me. But he didn't bless or didn't keep the person who died or who's sick, that God somehow is blessing you more because you have abundance while, you know, millions of people in this world, maybe even a billion people in this world don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And so, so, so somehow you or I have done more for God. And so we get this. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's how love works, especially if the metaphor we were given, and I talked about this last week, the baseline metaphor is father. Like no good father would ever, ever think it appropriate for one child to starve while the other child was well-fed. That just doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense in the Jewish mind either, which is why I think we have this beautiful reality. So here's some questions we ought to ask ourselves tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Do I hunger, do you hunger and thirst for the way of Jesus? We'll call that righteousness, the way of Jesus. Or do you hunger and thirst for what Jesus can bring your way? That's a big question. Like, am I going to church? Am I a part of a faith community? Do I believe that Jesus actually is uh, and produces a way that can save us from ourselves, from the destruction of one another and our plan? Do I actually, or is this just God can heal me? God can heal my marriage. 
And sometimes I ask it this way, is Jesus a solution or a savior? Is Jesus a solution to my problem or is he a savior of the world? A one who rescues, whose way, and when I say Jesus, I'm talking about the way of Jesus, the program of Jesus. Jesus' understanding of God. <laughs> like, is that producing in me? Now, here's the thing. You, you have problems. <laughs> some, some might even say you are the problem. I don't know. I don't know you that well. I, but, I, <laughs> but we're going to have problems in life, right? That Jesus promised that, that, that the world promises that. Like, just open your We're going to have that. And that's not to say that, that there isn't strength and power in Christ as we walk through our problems. But here's, here's the issue. When Jesus is presented as a solution, and this is why you make a proclamation of faith, or this is why you kind of cross the line or say the prayer or whatever we do, right? Take the class. What happens when the problem comes back and, and Jesus didn't solve it? Because that happens. I meet with people all the time. You, you know, they end up at church because they say, well, my finances were a wreck, or there was some sort of tension in their life. They end up in church, because this is the, and I think that's a good move, right? But then they hear in church, oh, your marriage is a wreck? Jesus can heal it. Jesus can heal it. When really what we should be saying is, oh, your marriage is a wreck? I'm so glad you're here. Let's get you a good marriage counselor. <laughs> Let's do that. Before we start talking about Jesus and, and the way of life, like, let's, let's focus on, oh, your finances are a disaster. Let's get you into some help to help you navigate how to manage money well. How to understand, oh, you're having trouble with work. Well, let's, let's put you with this resource, like what Greg's doing, to help you uh, get into a better job, right, to walk into a better employment situation. Let's provide those kinds of resources. Let's do that. And we can do that in Jesus' name. Don't get me wrong. Like, we can be motivated as people to do that. But let's, let's make sure we don't, we don't bring these two things together and say, oh, well, Jesus will just heal you if you just give your life to Jesus and go to church and read the Bible and everything will be fine. I mean, dude, some of the best ways to screw up your marriage is to go to church and read the Bible. I mean, ask, <laughs> ask a whole lot of people. So, so what, I'm, what I'm suggesting is that we recognize Okay, we're going to have problems. I can have strength to walk through those problems with Jesus, but I don't have to say, oh, like Jesus is the answer for every issue. Like Jesus is the answer for injustice. Jesus is the answer for how we don't burn the planet and send it to hell. I, I believe that deeply and, and hell metaphorically. I mean, I, we, but, but there's all these wonderful resources when it comes to like, oh, I'm sick. Well, let's get you to the doctor. I can't afford that. Well, let's figure out how to help raise some money to get you to the doctor. Like, that's a part of this. And now, I want to balance the tension, and I want to rush through this. I want to balance the tension of what I'm not saying is we shouldn't talk to God about stuff going on in our lives. Jesus invites us. Matthew gives us the prayer that's called the Our Father, right? Or it's called the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, like, we're given this idea, like, pray for the things that we need. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Very specific. But I, I, I don't, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about things, shouldn't pray about the desires of our hearts, those kinds of things. I'm not saying that. I think that's all fine and well and good, as long as we recognize that no is oftentimes, <laughs> while it might be disappointing, it's the most loving answer we could ever have. Now, I don't, be, I, I don't know that I believe that there's this external, outside of this world that we live in being that says yes and no, depending upon the way you ask or what's going on. I, I don't know that I'm there. I don't believe it that necessarily. 
I believe that we're called and given this great example to tap into and live this life of love, that prayer is important, prayer matters. And so when I say no, I'm not saying that you ought to imagine God saying no to you. I'm imagining that we experience the world, we experience the world as a no sometimes. (laughs) We experience the presence of love as a no sometimes in our lives. And that's okay. And here's why I know that's okay. Because you and I have both met an adult who, as a child, never heard the word no. And how awesome is that? (laughs) Like the fact that you're laughing like somebody at work popped in your head and you're like, huh, good point. I mean, I don't even need to go any further. That's enough of a mental image to get us to get. Here's what happens if all we get is yes. If all we experience in the world is a divine yes, I use that phrase metaphorically, then then we, we miss the power of suffering. We miss the power of, of humility, right? We miss it. You, you just have to experience boundaries, not self-imposed boundaries, right? But boundaries imposed from others that, that, that kind of curb your will so that you can actually understand freedom. And, and as I talked earlier about the Bible not being a book of promises, I also don't want to lead to this idea that there isn't a promise, Because I do believe that there's one fundamental promise that we can hold to and that we should recognize that, 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 that love is a promise keeper in this respect, that God is keeping this promise. And that is that the promise that we're given is a promise of presence, not presence. <laughs> so what we're given is the gift, is the promise of the Christ presence in our lives, not Christmas presence. <laughs> And that's the promise. Jesus put it this way. Matthew actually probably put it this way. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Like, that's the promise. I'm with you, with you. That's it right there. I'm with you. I'm with you. And in that way, God is a way maker. In that way, love is, because love is with us. And what can stand against me, right? We have all these Bible verses that we could say, who can stand against me? If God is for you, well, if love is with me, what can actually stop me? Can even death? No, not even death. That's the beauty of this. So we're going to, we have a song for you here called Waymaker. And I want us to understand that it's the presence and the power of love. If, if I actually believe that God is love, That presence is a way maker in our lives. When you are going through the circumstances that I can promise you will not change, you have circumstances that won't change. You're going to walk through and experience death. And I'm telling you, it's final. It's final. But there's a way through it. Not because God's going to undo death. Not because God's going to undo something in your life that's hard or difficult but because God says, I'm with you. Oh, it's so beautiful and simple, and we missed it. It's Jesus, Emmanuel. We sing it every Christmas time. God with us. God with us. And it's always a with. It's a, it's a partnership. It's the principles of covenant. It's with. So you're walking through a difficult circumstance right now. Here's what I want to say to you, and I don't say this to discourage you, but to encourage you. Your circumstances... Like, they are your circumstances. They are real and genuine, and they are a part of life. And I can make no promises that Jesus will change those circumstances. But I will promise you this, that God wants to be with you in them. God wants to be with you in them. 
And for those of you that are following Jesus, can I say this to you? God is calling you to be with them in it. That's how this works. That's why the organized church is still so important. It's still so important. The with. And here's what I believe. This will bring our world closer to God's vision. It will. Because something powerful happens when we stop believing in this type of spirituality, when we stop believing in pizza delivery, God. You will find freedom from spiritual abuse and religious manipulation, right? If you just can say, oh, wait a second, that smells like if then. That smells like you're trying to tell me God's going to do something for me if I do something for God. Now you're free from that. I just pronounce freedom in your life from that. So when you hear it, when you smell it, when you see it, and you might even hear it from me every now and then. Why? Because we all love pizza delivery, God, right? But you can actually now say, I can live that Christ is with me, and I can start being motivated by pure intentions, not realize, oh, I got to earn God. I got to make, no, no, no. And so some of you just need that freedom today to say, whoa, what I thought to be happening to me was actually happening to me. I was being manipulated. Maybe, maybe by good intentions. I'm not saying that person was evil or that religious, but, but that's what it was. And that's why I gave all that money and I never got what they said was going to come back to me a hundredfold. Maybe. So here's what I hope you hear God inviting you in today. If you have been through this pizza delivery, God, if you're sitting at home and you're saying, oh my gosh, this is my framework. Like This is just, bro. I want to just give you the freedom and the power to right now to call it what it is, spiritual abuse. God's inviting you to name it as such and to start to find healing from that and not to ever have to go back to that space. Not to ever have to go back to, if you give, then this. If you volunteer, then this. And can I, let me just, I'm, I'm over my time, so I, I should or shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it, okay? Listen, I think everybody should be generous for lots of reasons. And I, I want everybody that calls Crossroads their church, I want you to give financially. Our family, we, we do the tithe thing. We give 10% and then we give above and beyond. That's just, that's our rhythm. And I teach that rhythm. But here's what I don't ever want you to think. You should do that because God's going to somehow pay your bills. You know why you should give to your church or why you should give to anything for that matter? Because you believe in the vision and mission. You believe it's actually producing God's vision in this world. And I believe we all should give. I believe generosity principally breaks all kinds of problems in our lives. But, but it's not an if-then thing. Same thing with volunteering, giving of ourselves to organizations like Crossroads or another one in the community because you believe in the vision and the mission of what they're doing because you're called into that space. Go do that because it's God's vision for the world and, and Christ is with you. Go for it. Not if then. And then for those of us that are in the room and we're on this journey, we've been in this peacemaking world and feel like, yeah, I don't get that. I just want to encourage us to ask this question of us ourselves regularly. How might I be using Jesus to get my way rather than walk in his way? Because I'm telling you, we do it. We don't mean to, but we do it. It's, and I think that's the reason why we have it in the Bibles to remind us, oh, this is what you do. This is what we do. We want God to owe us. We want God to do, but we don't always recognize the real danger that comes with that. And so I just want to always ask myself that question, okay, what am I doing? 
What practices do I have in my life, particularly spiritual practices, that are there because maybe a long time ago somebody told me, if I do this, then God will do that. And how do I recognize, oh, that's not how this works. So here's a song called Waymaker. And as we, as you hear this song, as you finish wrapping up your connect card, your offering envelope, fill out any next steps, um, hear this song as love is the waymaker. Right? Think of this song as love is the way maker. To worship something is to value it. Someone says, I worship you. Don't get caught up in the worshiping of Zeus, this God who sits on a throne, and if I don't bow, then I get punished. No, like think of the word when, when this song says, I worship you, just think of it saying, I value love. I give my life to love. When it says things like, you're always working, even when I don't see it, you're working. Just think of love. Isn't that what love does? It's always working, even when I don't experience it, even when I don't see it. And what is love other than the experience of with? Right? Love is just the experience of with. I can experience Wendy right now. She's not in this room, my wife, but I know she loves me. And there's a way that that sustains me in life, even when we're not together, because that's what love does. That's how God works. And that's the freedom that we find in this way of Jesus. So enjoy this song, and I promise we'll get you out of here to have some pizza, some real pizza, in a minute.